and service, Lord, as we continue, would just glorify you, that you would be pleased, that you would be lifted up in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Hey, last week, last week we started a series called Expressions of Worship. And we were going through Psalm 95, reading through Psalm 95, and we said as Christians, every area of our life is worship. All that we do is worship. If it's not sinful, it's, let's say that again, if it's not sinful, it's sacred, exactly, it's sacred. So everything that we do, everything as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ that we do, is an expression of worship to our Lord and Savior. We ended by asking the question last week, why should we worship God? You know, why is it that we should, we should worship this, this God that we talk about? Well, in verse 3, David answers our question. Because the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. He is the great King. We worship Him because He is the one true God, the one who made us who knit us together in our mother's womb. He is our, he is our king. Verse 4 says that he, he created the seas and the dry land. That he is, the, he is the author. He is the sustainer and creator of all things. If Jesus took his hands off the universe, it would fall apart. It is held together by God. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 5, and we said in verses 1 through 5, it is basically an invitation to celebration. Now in verses 6 and 7, it's an invitation to adoration. Thanksgiving is worshiping God for what he does. Adoration is worshiping God for who he is. We worship God because of who he is. Just because of who he is, because of how awesome and amazing and majestic he is for all that he does, for all that he has done. He is incredible. And we worship him for that very reason. In verses six and seven, it says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. He is our God. We are under his care. He cares for us. We are not an end unto ourselves. I know in our culture, that's what we're told. But we are not an end unto ourselves. He created us. He cares about us. He loves us. He sustains us through the most challenging times of our entire lives. That's who he is. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, we read about a woman who walks into the house of a Pharisee who invited Jesus for a meal. So the Pharisee invites Jesus for this meal and in walks this woman. She was known in her community basically as a prostitute. So here in, here in walks a prostitute into the, this Pharisee's house. She comes right up to Jesus and she starts, she falls to her knees and she's weeping at Jesus' feet and her tears are wetting his feet. And she takes her hair and she dries his feet with her hair. And then she, and she kisses his feet and then she takes expensive perfume and she pours it on his feet. She just is, she's worshiping him. She's worshiping him. 
the Pharisee, as you can just imagine, is outraged by Jesus' response. Are you kidding me? Basically what he's saying, and the people there in the house, all these important people there in the house are looking at this. Are you kidding me? Do you, do you, know, do you know who this, person, who this person is? Do you know who this piece of trash is that is touching you? I thought this guy was a prophet. He can't be, because he would know who she is, and therefore he certainly wouldn't let this piece of trash touch him. Don't you know where she got the money to buy the perfume that she poured on your feet? They're just, they're just a guest. They're just outraged. A few things kind of stick, stick with me on this one. First, the Pharisee and the people there wanted this woman to have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus, basically because of her reputation and because of the way she looked. They didn't want her touching Jesus. They didn't want Jesus interacting with her. And second, though she, in the world's eyes, was a piece of trash, Jesus loved her. He loved her and was moved by her heart. See, the one thing about, the thing about human beings is we look at the outward appearance first and foremost. Then we kind of get to know people and look at their hearts and see, you know, we try to judge motives or whatever else the case may be. God judges the heart. He looks right at the heart and Jesus looks at her heart and knowing her sincerity, listen, and knowing her brokenness, the sincerity of her heart and the brokenness of her heart, he allows her to continue. He allows her to continue. So every one of you who thought the roof was when you first walked into Grace Chapel or even now, every one of you thought the roof was going to cave in when you came in here. You know, a lot of you say that, man, I, I came to Grace Chapel. I thought the roof was going was gonna to cave in. Um, frankly, to be really, to, you know, frankly, I, I, I know the background of a lot of people in this church. And honestly, uh, you don't really measure up that well on the, the sin scale, okay? Uh, you sit here and think, well, you know, well, you don't understand, you don't understand. Hey, Eric, how long were you in prison? Okay. So, you know, if you're looking at, if you're kind of walking in, you're saying, you know, well, you know, you don't understand, you don't understand my background, you don't understand that, well, I was afraid the whole thing was going to cave in on me. And some people look at different people and they see that kind of thing and they judge by outward appearance. And here's the other thing you need to understand. God's grace is greater than your sin. Eric, do you believe God's grace is greater than your sin? (laughs) Thank you, Eric. (laughs) Love it. We'll talk later. A little more discipleship. We'll be okay. Exactly. I love it. Oh, now we, I asked him if I could ask him those questions before. I asked him, so I'm never going to say, hey, John back there, remember you were in my office the other day when you told me? <laughs> never happen, okay? But that's what we think sometimes. Oh, the walls are going to cave in if I walk in the room. Here this woman walks in, and she's weeping at the feet of Jesus. This woman was expressing more worship and adoration for Jesus than that Pharisee and every other person in that house combined. She was showing more worship to Jesus Christ. You know, they were complaining, and he basically tells them a parable and tries to help them understand. But he's basically saying to them, hey, you know, I walked in here. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me anything to do. And, and this woman, this woman weeps at my feet, washes my feet with her hair, kisses my feet, and then pours perfume on my feet. 
this, 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 Jesus sees her heart. Why would she do this? Why, why would the woman do this? Because, listen, because she understands. She understood who she was. And she understood who Jesus was. She understood who she was in relation to him. And, and, and when she understand, when you understand who you are in relation to God, your only response is to fall to your knees in worship. And that's what she did. She recognized who she was. You see, the Pharisees stand there going, yep, yep, it's my house. I'll invite you over. I'm a Pharisee. I, got, I keep all the laws. I got the whole thing nailed down here. And this piece of trash comes into my house. And, oh, he's all worked up. He doesn't offer Jesus anything proper that he should have offered. He doesn't offer Jesus. He's not, he's not acknowledging who Christ is. And this woman recognizing her sin. See, she recognized who? She recognized her sin. You ever notice Jesus when he deals with with prostitutes and tax collectors, and you think, oh, he's nice to those people. He's really rough with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Do you understand why? Do you ever notice when the, when the tax collectors and the prostitutes ever come up to him? They're on their knees. They're usually crawling over. They already recognize. The woman caught in adultery, they already recognize their sin. They know their sin, and they know they're standing in the presence of someone awesome, and they recognize that. The Pharisees are walking around like, you know, they just don't stink at all, ever. You know, I got it all together. You know, I, I keep all the laws and I keep the laws around the laws and I keep laws around those laws. And, you know, that's why Jesus in love and compassion literally, in a sense, grabs them by the scruff of the neck and is shaking them because he loves them. And he's trying to help them recognize that it's not the problem is the inside, not the outside. Their robes may have been real pretty, but their inside wasn't. This woman on the outside may have looked like a prostitute, may have looked worn and, you know, kind of used on the outside, but on the inside, that's what Jesus saw. That's what he saw on the inside. And so she, understanding who Jesus was, the result is that she falls on her knees and she weeps at his feet and she wipes his, his feet clean and she pours out perfume that co- would cost any one of us, basically at that time, a year's earnings or wages. That's what she did. Giving is an act of worship. Giving of your resources is an act of worship. When you tithe, when you give, it's an act of worship. She gave everything she had, including what meant most to her. It's an act of worship, the whole experience. And because of her humility, her humility and her faith, her sin is forgiven. And she is the most righteous person in that house, except for Jesus, of course. She is beyond that Pharisee and all those people standing around going, I can't even believe he let her. He's, he's letting her touch him. You know who's the most righteous person in the room? The prostitute. And the rest of them are standing there in their smugness and their spiritual arrogance, not even understanding not in understanding that it's, it comes from in here. Do you want to truly become a worshiper? You need to understand your own sin. I know this is not popular to talk about. Oh, you know, talking about sin and you're a sinner. Uh, people aren't going to like that. They're not going to come back to church. Well, what are you... Tough. It's just reality. It's reality. I had to, if I truly want to worship God, I need to recognize who I am in relation to God. I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, a person belonging to God. I know that. If I was the last person on earth, Jesus would have died for me. I have value. I understand that. But then I turned away over here and I say, in recognizing my own failing, my own shortcomings, my own sin, that helps me to worship, 
helps me understand the God that I worship. I bow my head to the one who's perfect and awesome. I was reading C.S. Lewis, and I love C.S. Lewis. And here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. May God's grace give you the necessary humility. Try not to think, much less speak of their sins, talking about other people's sins. One's own are a much more profitable theme. And if on consideration one can find no faults on one's own side, then cry for mercy, for this must be a most dangerous delusion. I, Christians love to decide, well, those people, they, I, they, go to, they go to movies or they do this or I never do that or this person does that. We, we decide that our besetting sin is not as bad as John's and Pete's and this person, that person, this person's. When the reality is we need to look into our own hearts if we truly want to become worshipers. We need to understand, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, she recognized her need for Jesus Christ. And that understanding, understanding threw her into a, a time of worship and adoration. She recognized who she was in relation to Jesus. And that threw her into worship. You know, the reason that we don't worship God with passion the reason that we don't, when we come before God, we don't always express the, our brokenness when we stand before him. The reason is because we don't really understand our need for him. The reason we don't worship him the way we should. I'm not picking on Grace Chapel or and I'm talking, you know, we as all, Christi- all Christians sometimes, sometimes. The reason that we don't worship him as we should is we do not understand our need we don't understand our need for Christ because we have it all here. So we don't really kind of we don't really need him. It's nice to have Jesus as my savior, Lord too, kind of. But we don't really we don't really need him. And then you start reading the you start reading your Bible in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5 when Isaiah saw the Lord seated on his throne. All he could do was to cry out, I am a sinful man. That's what he said. Of all the things he could say when you see, when you see God sitting on his throne, when you see the Lord sitting on his throne, of all the things Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah is one of the guys we look at and say, oh man, Isaiah, I wish I could be like Isaiah. I wish I could be like this guy in the Bible and that guy and this guy. You know, Isaiah, being a prophet, sees that vision. He sees the vision of the Lord seated on the throne and he cries out. What does he say? I am a sinful man. I am a sinful man. When Peter saw that it was Jesus who allowed them to catch that multitude of fish in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, he fell at the knees of Jesus and he said, he said basically, go away from me, Lord, away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He rec- when you recognize that, when they, when, they, when they recognized who God was, when they recognized who Jesus was, their reaction to that is, I am a sinful man. And again, I'm not here trying to beat up on us all, make us walk out feeling, oh, oh, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. No, I already said that. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, holy nation, a people belonging to God. When Christ is in your life, his blood has covered you, and when God sees you, he sees his son. Okay? So in standing with God, 
We are perfect in standing with God. But as we live our lives and we understand we are, we are, we are working through, we are not working our, to our salvation, but as we work out our salvation, as we continue to try to be the best that we can be, as we continue to try to be more and more like Jesus Christ every day, we need to recognize the, the distance between who we are and who he is, and that will help us, that'll help us worship. David understood that when we know who we are and we know who we are in relation to God, it will cause us to worship and adore him. Uh, do you remember David, a man after God's own heart? Remember what, remember what David did with Bathsheba? David, this, this incredible man, you know, commits adultery, and then he gets caught. He kind of gets caught up, and he realizes, oh, no, and he basically ends up killing Uriah the Hittite by sending him out to war and everything. And, you know, and this is David, okay? David understood this concept. Listen to Psalm 51. This is after Nathan comes to him and basically says, hey, you're the man. He, he lays out a scenario, and David's like, you, we got I see that person. If I, ever, I want you to get that. And, David, and Nathan says, uh, excuse me, you're the guy I'm talking about. And here's David's response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin are always before you. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, that you may be proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. I kind of memorized that one for some reason. David understood who he was in relation to God. And when you understand that, you pour out your heart to God. See, our, in, our, in our churches, not just Grace Chapel, I'm not picking on us again. In, in churches, we, 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 we don't worship him sometimes. If, if, we won't worship him if they are not playing the right style of music. Now, I want you to take what you just learned and now put it in our context in 21st century America. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't worship this kind of music. just can't do it. And you know what? That, that guy over there, we don't worship because he moves too much. He just, I wish he would just stop clapping and moving. I can't concentrate. I can't worship with this guy moving. Or these people don't move enough. Or these people, eh, blah, 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 right? Right? I just can't worship God if, 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 if. We point out all these different things. Every year we go to New York, almost every year, and we go to a place called Camp of the Woods. And I love Camp of the Woods. Ravi Zachariah speaks there. It's really good. And I've, been, I've been going there since I was 18 years old. You know, back in 1980, we started going there, going there year after year after year. And, uh, and I go there, and, and we, there's a time of, of worship on Sunday mornings. They have these different things that go on. And, and, they, and the, during the time of worship, they were playing this camp music. They pulled out these flags of these different nations, and they all held them. You know, and then they sing songs like, uh, We have a story to tell to the nations. Dee, 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 dee. And I'm sitting there listening, and I'm thinking to myself in my mind. I'm criticizing the music in my mind. And I'm thinking... People, can't you get into the 1990s and sing something that I can actually worship to? I mean, what is that? Of a story to sing to the nations. They've been singing it since 1928 or something. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, come on, get with the times. I, I'm sorry with you, you people. What's wrong with you? I get back into the, get into the real world where most of us can actually worship God. Would you play something decent? And I, I'm thinking that to myself, and I could just hear the Holy Spirit like, really, Greer? I'm 
mean, I felt like he was saying, you know, now, hold on, wait a second, wait a second. Let me remind the heavenly hosts that right before you die, we need to make sure we learn all of your songs so when you're at the throne of God worshiping, we make sure we're singing all the things that you can worship God to. Because we wouldn't want you to get to heaven and not be able to worship to your songs. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And I started singing to myself, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about me. It's all about me, Jesus. Now you know where Jen gets it, right? Right? You know, and I, I just kind of, you know, you, you think about that, how ludicrous we are sometimes. Think about how ludicrous we are when we, when we think that way. You know, when it's like, you know, it, worship is not about me. I don't, I'm sorry. I can, I'll pick, I can pick on you because I can pick on myself. I don't know how many times I've been in a situation where, oh, I can't worship there because that, they're that younger music style now. I'm almost 50 in June, and so now, you know, I'm even picking on this. or pick, And it's like, wait a second. I'm, I, can, I, I need to be focused on, on Jesus Christ, focused on God, recognizing who I am in relation to God and whether they're singing, I love old hymns. I love what we do on Sunday mornings. You know, we should be able to worship God regardless it may not be our favorite this or favorite that. We should be able to worship him. When you see him for who he is and understand who you are in relation to him, you have no choice but to change your attitude, Jeff Greer, and worship him and worship him. Fall to your knees and worship him. I think we, we fall short there. Okay, this last section. In Psalm 95, this last section is an invitation to, to dedication. An invocation to dedication. So the first, the first two sections we talked about, the celebration, adoration, they, 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 they read like a beautiful song. This last section here reads like a solemn warning. It's a solemn warning. But actually, it, it fits in so well with the, the message fits in so, so well. If we worship, if true worship comes from the heart, Think about this. If true worship that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks comes from the heart, then the, the, the opposite of that would be a hardening of the heart. And this is what we have to watch out for. Psalm 95, today, if you hear, my, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did, did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did for 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. Let me read that again. They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter into my rest. David is referring here to a specific event in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 1. The whole Israelite community, right? is coming out of Egypt. They're coming out of Egypt, and they're going through all these things. You know the story, but there's no water. And so the people coming out of Egypt start to, start to complain. They start to complain to Moses. They start to, and they use the word quarrel. They start to quarrel with Moses that they don't have any water. And they're basically doing it again. They're saying that to Moses, you know what, what real good plan, Moses, Great plan. Take us out of Egypt, out of captivity, and bring, what, are we just supposed to die now here in the desert of thirst? That is a really good plan. 
challenging Moses and ultimately challenging God. And so God says to Moses, take the elders and I want you to go to the rock of Horeb. I want you to go there. I want you to strike the rock and you strike the rock. The water will be released and the people will be able to, to drink. And that place was called Massa or Meribah, which is testing or quarreling. Because the people at that time, the Israelites, were, were, were testing their God. They were testing their God. And they were basically, they were quarreling. They were, they, were, they were questioning if God were still with them, if God had abandoned them or not. All they had been through, this isn't like 25 or 30, the next generation. These are the people who saw it. These people, God said, saw what I had done. And now they're still questioning. And they're saying, has he abandoned us? And I, I, used to, I used to all the time go, what is wrong with these knuckleheads? And reading through the Old Testament, New Testament, I'm thinking, I would never do that. I would never do that. I would never do that. The older I get, the more I think, uh, I do that now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I still do that. Don't we do that? Don't we do that? Don't we? Don't, if things are not going right in your life, don't we question and test God? When things are not going right for you, don't we do the same thing? Don't we quarrel? Don't we test? Don't we, we, we get angry and we kind of walk away from God? We question Him or we just get ticked off and we walk away. We stop reading the Word of God. We stop coming to church for a while. We stop doing all We quarrel and we question Him. And in verse 8, God's Word challenges us, do not harden your hearts like at Meribah. Don't harden your hearts. Don't be like them. Don't follow in their footsteps. They were a people whose hearts were always wandering. Think about this. They were a people whose hearts were always wandering. And you and I can go, yup, man. I remember they, remember they, went, through the, they went through the Red Sea and they got on the other side and, and the Egyptians were coming. They, the, the sea just parts in from You saw Charlton Heston, right? And he just holds the staff up and the whole thing opens up. You know what I mean? And they're, they're, they get through and the, 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 the uh, Egyptians start to come. And what do they do when they get on the other side? I can't believe you go out here and they're going to slaughter us. And, all, and the, the sea just opened up. But then he says, you are people who are constantly wandering, going astray, wandering away from me. And I started asking myself, do, do we wander from God? Do you wander from God when you go to work? Or do you worship him at work? Do you wander from God when you leave here and go to school? Or do you worship him in school? Do you wander from God when you go and have your leisure time? Maybe you go, whatever, people, oh, I'm going to go clubbing and everything, whatever. Do you, do you worship God during your leisure time? Or do you wander from him? Do, do, we, do we worship God? Do you worship God when you're on the field, when you're on the court? Or when you get on the court, man, you take the, you, you know, you pull the thing down, you got your shorts on. When you get your, get your basketball in your hand, you, you know, that, you know, God is, that's, now God's over here. Do you wander? Do you, do you go astray when you wander onto the court, when you wander onto the field? Or do you worship God when you're on the field? Do you think, first thing you think of, you know, T, Tebow is not the first person to pray before he hit the field, my friends. He just really, out, I love him, he's outgoing about it. But do you do that yourself? Do you bow your head and say, Lord, help me do my best, help me give glory to you and everything I do. Help me to knock this person right on their, on their fanny today, Lord, for your glory. It's okay, you're not trying to hurt them. You just want to be your best for Jesus. 
Help me hit that homer. Help me shoot that three-pointer. You know, help me, whatever. Do you, do you give God the glory through that all? Do you, or do you wander away from him? Remember the secular sacred thing? Basketball, football, baseball, they're all secular. Unless there's no such thing as secular, and it's either sinful or sacred. And if you're not doing anything sinful, then you're worshiping God on the court. Then you're worshiping God at work. Then you're worshiping God every, in everything you do. We've got to ask, do we wander? He said, he's big, do not harden your hearts like that Maribeth. Don't wander. Don't go astray. It's a solemn warning. See, when we allow our hearts to wander, when we allow our hearts to harden, worship will end. Worship will come to an end and we will lose the intimacy that God desires for us. God desires intimacy every single moment. The last thing you think about before you go to bed should be him. The first thing you think about when you get up should be him. Do, your, do, do everything you want to do in life. Go for it, man. If you want to, if you want to, be the, 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 you want to build a business that just dominates the world, go for it with him. Be the best on the court. Make it to the pros with him. You can experience God wants intimacy with you all the time, not just on Sunday mornings for an hour or so. God wants that intimacy, intimacy all the time. Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen reminds us, Blesses the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. God is calling us to worship him in celebration because of what he's done, in adoration because of who he is, and in, in dedication because he desires to walk with us in intimacy. He desires that relationship to have that intimacy. I'd like you, if you would, to stand up as we close here. I'm going to close. I want you to stand up. And if you have to kind of make it, I want you to, before, we, before I pray with you, I want you to kind of come to grab the hand of the person next to you. If they're sweaty, it's okay. Praise the Lord. Now I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to don't, don't, you know, don't, don't, don't not offer, you know, if they not offer, hold them up, the person next to them, hold them up, okay, hold them up. But I want you to think about this, because I know some of you are facing such difficult times right now, with your job and at school, your finances, your relationships, your, your health, that giving God your worship, you know, you're listening to this, but it's so overwhelming, giving God your worship, giving God your heart seems too difficult, I want you to think about that right now. I want you to spend some time in your heart and your head just just talking to the Lord right now. Recognizing that He is with you every step of the way. That He will carry you every step of the way. As a young lady, Carly, sings earlier in this service, that song, going through what she experienced... And never walking away from the Lord, but only holding on to him. As we hold on to each other's hands, it, it's, we are the body of Christ. We will hold each other up. And more than that, Jesus will carry us if need be. I know it's hard for you students and the adults, but some of you students, I know it's hard to truly worship God in America when so much is vying for your attention, pushing you to worship at other idols, worship at other altars. But I say this morning, let us choose together as the, as the Grace Chapel family to make Jesus Christ the object, the true object of our worship. Let's commit to him as we hold hands this morning in our minds and hearts that we would make him the object of our worship. And it starts, my friends, 
It starts in surrender as we, as, as, we, as we use those simple words. I am yours, Lord. I am yours. You know, in the very next psalm, in Psalm 96, David writes, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. God doesn't want our worship to become stale. He wants it to be new every morning. Guys, if someone or something, something else has taken first place in your heart, you need to let them go. You need to let it go, whatever, whatever it is. We need to be like that woman in Luke who came humbly to Jesus. We need to be that, like her, that humility, recognizing who, who she was and who Christ was. We need to bring him our best every single day. Lord God, I pray with all of my heart, I pray with all of my heart, dear God, that we would, each one of us, give you our best, give you our worship in every area of our lives. God, I pray this sermon would not leave our heads or our hearts by tomorrow at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, but that we would just grasp the idea that everything we do in our lives is worship if we just give it to you. Let us rise up to morning, go to school, go to work, go wherever we're going to go and worship you in it. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.